What is today? It's what? Groundhog Day, Football Sunday, Super Bowl. It's also Palindrome Day. Zero two, zero two, two zero two zero. Whoa, mind blown. So what does Groundhog Day have to do with Christians, pagans, Delaware Indians, candles, crepes, and tamales? That's what we're going to talk about today. Hang on to your seats. Be the ride of your life. So, February 2nd is historically in the Christian tradition honored as the day that Jesus was presented in the temple 40 days after his birth. The reason it was 40 days after his birth is because Jewish law said that when a woman had a baby boy, they are unclean for 40 days and are not allowed to enter the temple and take part in worship for 40 days. So the 40th day, the woman is allowed to come back to the temple, be purified, and bring their child to be dedicated in the temple. 40 days after Jesus' birth was February 2nd because Jesus was born on December 25th, which isn't true at all. He was not born on December 25th, but Christians have been celebrating the 25th of December as Jesus' birthday since 354 CE for a long time. So February 2nd is about 40 days after that. What's weird is that a woman who had a baby boy in the Jewish time of the first century would be unclean for 40 days, but if she had a baby girl, she would be unclean for 60 days. Of course, it's not fair. <laughs> we put our belief in the strangest things. So in Christian tradition, February 2nd is also known as Candlemas, like Christmas, but with candles. Christmas, we celebrate the birth of Jesus. Candlemas, we celebrate the birth of candles. It's not true. Historically, uh, at the uh, church, the priest would bless all of the candles for the whole year on this day, in addition to celebrating the day that Jesus was um, presented in the temple. And people would hand out candles at church, and they would, this was before electricity, they would take them home, these blessed candles, and put them on the windowsill and to light up their house at night, and it would remind them, a reminder that Jesus is the light of the world. Because the story in the gospel is that when Jesus was presented in the temple, a man named Simeon picked up Jesus, and he said, he is a light to reveal God to the nations. And so that's why we celebrate Candlemas in Christian tradition. And that's why uh, we, as part of the Disciples of Christ denomination, light the Christ candle at the beginning of every service. A lot of other Christian traditions do that as well. A reminder that Jesus is the light of the world. And in many Christian countries, Candlemas marks the day that you finally take down Christmas decorations. February 2nd. I should have left my Star Wars ornaments up a lot longer than I did. So we got an email a few weeks ago from uh, Issaquah Highlands saying that they were going to fine anyone who still had their Christmas decorations up. I, they apparently have not heard of Candlemas, where you take down Christmas decorations on February 2nd. Candlemas in Mexican tradition in Mexico is called Candelaria. On January 6th, about a month before, they make a cake. You all heard of this tradition? They make a cake called a king cake, and they put a plastic baby Jesus inside the cake, cut the cake. Whoever gets the plastic baby Jesus has to throw a party on February 2nd, Candelaria. 
choking hazard in the king cake, caution non-edible baby inside the cake. They had to put a giant warning on the king cake that you get from the store. And it's customary um, to make tamales on this day in Mexico because, uh, you know, Jesus wrapped in swaddling clothes. It's kind of like a tamale that's wrapped up. It's kind of weird. I don't know. In France, they make crepes as a traditional food on this day. February 2nd is also known in the ancient Celtic tradition as marking the halfway point between winter uh, and spring. And so it was a pagan festival in the ancient Celtic tradition. And February 2nd in the U.S. is Groundhog Day. The pagan holiday in the Celtic tradition was combined with the Christian Candlemas in the Middle Ages. And it became this day where the weather would be predicted. And there are sayings throughout Europe um, about this, and the one from Scotland says, if Candlemas Day is bright and clear, there'll be two winters in the year. Traditionally, what? What? Oh, I know, right? Traditionally, badgers were used in Germany to see if there was enough sun for the badger to see its shadow. And uh, this morning, Punxsutawney Phil, the groundhog in Pennsylvania, they brought him out of his hole, his hole, and to determine if he ha- could see his shadow or not. And if he, how does it go? If he can see his shadow, it means winter's not over, right? Yes. If it's cloudy, it means spring is coming early. We put our belief in the weirdest things, <laughs> right? The reason that happened here in the U.S. is because the Delaware Indi- Indians, Native Americans, um, honored the groundhog as their ancestral grandfather. And so when German immigrants came into Pennsylvania, they combined their badger tradition with the groundhog tradition. And that's how we have Groundhog Day. And that's why we, they said this morning when they had the big celebration with the Puxitani Phil, the people in charge said that the groundhog spoke groundhog ease to them and that's how they know what the weather is going to be. We put our belief in the weirdest things. I love this meme. Only in America do we accept weather predictions from a rodent but deny climate change evidence from scientists. Whether you believe in climate change or not, I thought it was a funny idea. We put so much of this um, trust and faith and just interesting traditions and rituals. It's often said that when we place our belief in something, we have faith. Part of Mission Gathering's vision statement that we share with four other mission gatherings across the country is to be a community of Christ followers growing in faith. What comes to mind when you hear the word faith? Just shout it out. What images or thoughts come to mind when you hear the word? Trust. Belief. Yeah. Huh? Prayer. Prayer? Doubt. Doubt. How does that relate to faith for you? I, I feel like faith and doubt, I don't know, always go together. Yeah. Faith and, and belief have, in my experience, kind of become synonymous. Uh, faith and religion has kind of become synonymous. We talk about the Christian faith, the Muslim faith, the Jewish faith, the Hindu faith. Um, The number of people leaving faiths is growing. 
In 2010, Gallup poll found that 34% of the U.S. now identify as religious nuns, meaning they have no faith tradition that they claim to be a part of. Washington and Oregon are like at the top of the list for the percentage of religious nuns. What's interesting is that they found around 16% of Protestants and 24% of Catholics still identify as Christian, but they do not identify as being religious. So they maintain this idea of a higher power, of Jesus. They don't really want anything to do with organized religion, the Christian faith that we call. They're leaving the faith. So they're leaving the, the religious faith, but they're still maintaining some kind of faith in something beyond ourselves. It's kind of interesting. So why are people leaving the faith? Why are people separating from the religious aspect of the faith? Does anyone ever follow, uh, it's big in the evangelical tradition, uh, the band Hillsong? Are you familiar with Hillsong? Marty Sampson wrote hundreds and hundreds of songs by Hillsong. If you've ever been to a church that did any kind of contemporary worship, you probably sang Marty's songs. And Marty last year um, left the Christian faith. Um, and he, on Instagram, he said, I am genuinely losing my faith. He said, why is the Bible full of contradictions? No one talks about it. How can God be love yet send four billion people to a place, hell, all because they don't believe? No one talks about it. I want genuine truth and not the I just believe it kind of truth. That was just a, a couple weeks after another prominent Christian author um, renounced his Christian faith as well. Some churches are talking about those things. Marty's church isn't. Hillsong's not talking about that. But a lot of churches are talking about uh, the contradictions in the Bible and some of those hard things. Is it possible that people are longing for something that the organized religious faith is not providing? It's not working for them anymore. Is it possible that faith is not simply this belief in religious doctrines and dogmas that are true? It's not as simple, maybe, as this belief in religious ideas. If faith is correct belief about God, about the Bible, about religious ideas. Honestly, the church that I spent most all of my life in would probably call me a heretic today because I don't maintain a lot of those religious ideas that I had growing up. And they would call me a heretic. They would say that I have lost my faith, right? Uh, the word that I grew up with was backsliding. You heard that term. They'd say that I, I have just gone astray, my faith. I've lost my faith. They would probably agree with Darth Vader. I find your lack of faith disturbing. You don't believe the same things that we believe about God and the Bible. You have no faith. You've gone astray. You've lost your faith. I have kind of lost that faith, that kind of faith I have. I don't think the same way that I used to about God and the Bible. So what is faith? How do we understand that? There's a story from Mark 10 of Jesus. Jesus and his followers spent some time in Jericho. and 
as Jesus was leaving town, trailed by his disciples in a parade of people, a blind beggar by the name of Bartimaeus was sitting alongside the road. And when he heard that Jesus, the Nazarene, was passing by, he began to cry out, Son of David, Jesus, mercy, have mercy on me. And many tried to hush him up. And he yelled all the louder, Son of David, have mercy on me. How true is it, at least in my experience, uh, one, that the, those in society who have very little power, we tend to hush and we tend to silence. Um, those in the religious world who do not have the same faith and belief that we do, we tend to want to hush and silence sometimes. And Jesus stopped in his tracks, call him over, and they called him. They said to him, it's your lucky day, get up, he's calling you to come. Throwing off his coat, Bartimaeus was on his feet once and came to Jesus. And Jesus said, what can I do for you? The blind man said, Rabbi, teacher, I want to see. On your way, said Jesus, your faith has saved and healed you. In that very instant, he recovered his sight and followed Jesus down the road on the way. Your faith has saved and healed you. Bartimaeus, the blind man, did not sign a doctrinal statement of the correct beliefs about God to become a member of Jesus' church before he was saved. Bartimaeus did not say a sinner's prayer before he was saved and healed and made whole. But he had faith. Maybe faith it's more than just what our minds can understand about God in the Bible. Maybe faith has more to do with our intellectual ability to comprehend God in the Bible. Richard Rohr helps us in this idea. He says, Richard Rohr is a Franciscan priest. Jesus was able to touch and heal people who trusted him as an emissary or a representative of God's love. Not people who assessed intellectual statements and decided whether they were true or false. Faith is more how to believe than what to believe. Faith is not a head-mind thing. Faith is something deeper. It's a gut, heart. It's a soul thing. It's a deep trust. Not in beliefs, not in doctrines, not in ideas about God. It's a trust in something very, very, very much deeper. Than that. Something so much more than that. Jesus, God, the divine, is so far beyond what we can comprehend. So far beyond what our language can describe. So why have we limited faith to a list of statements or ideas that we call and claim to be true about God? Isn't faith like God so much bigger and deeper and more important than that? Jesus dealt with this challenge among the religious leaders of his day. In Matthew 23, he's talking about the Pharisees who are the religious leaders. He says their lives are perpetual fashion shows, embroidered prayer shawls one day and flowery prayers the next. 
They love to sit at the head table at most church dinners, basking in the most prominent positions, preening in the radiance of public flattery, receiving honorary degrees, getting called doctor and reverend. When you look at those people, say they are people of faith. Look how much they know about God. So much more than us. They are people of faith. Their faith is so strong. And Jesus is calling them out. He says to them, you're hopeless. You religion scholars and Pharisees, frauds. You're like manicured grave plots, grass clipped and the flowers bright. But six feet down, it's all rotting bones and worm-eaten flesh. People look at you and think you're saints, but beneath the skin, you're total frauds. Whoa. As a pastor, that hurts. <laughs> I'm a total fraud. Because so much those in power, we as pastors have said, you've got to do this and this and this and this and this to build your faith, to have a strong faith. And if you don't do all these things and think all these things and believe all these things, then you have little faith. And we've determined who is in, who is out, who deserves to be a part of the community, who doesn't based on who has met those requirements. Shame on us, Jesus says. Shame on you. It's not what the kingdom of God is. You should have nothing to do with that. It's harsh. I would encourage you all to go read Matthew 23 today if you have time. The whole chapter, Jesus is talking about this. I have heard faith described as the, I grew up with this idea, the absence of doubt. Like you mentioned, faith and doubt kind of go together. If you have a strong faith, then you won't doubt, right? Because if faith is trust, I don't doubt anything. I have trust and I have confidence in God. And we look at someone like um, Mother Teresa, who has done so much for the poor in our world. Uh, she has been declared a saint, a woman of such strong, powerful faith. And after she died, her uh, journals and diaries were found. And this passage came from one of her journals. Where is my faith? Even deep down, there is nothing but emptiness and darkness. My God, how painful is the unknown pain. It pains without ceasing. I have no faith. I dare not utter the words and thoughts that crowd in my heart and make me suffer untold agony. So many unanswered questions live within me and I'm afraid to uncover them because of the blasphemy. If there be a God, please forgive me. Mother Teresa, you are this example of what it means to have strong faith. What is all this doubt? Maybe faith has very little to do with doubt. Is it possible to have no idea where you're going and what you're doing and what to think about God or life? but to still have faith. Despite Mother Teresa's doubt, despite her pain, she continued to serve people, to love people, to care for those in need, to see Christ in every person she encountered. 
Why did you keep on doing that? Because faith is a trust in the God that is beyond our thinking. Faith is a trust that no matter how confused and lost I am, love is the best way to move forward. The best way for me to make sense of God and life and how to live in this world is the way of love and I'll put my trust in that. God is love. The divine is love. Mother Teresa kept putting one foot forward. She'd see a need of a person and she would meet it. She put her trust and her faith in love despite not having any idea about any of this God stuff. Up here in her mind, she was confused and wrestled with the doubt. And she was obviously also taught that to have doubt is to not have faith. I don't think that's true. I don't think that's true at all. I think we have misunderstood faith and what it is. Faith is this willingness to put your one foot forward and trust that God, the divine, is on our side and that love is the best way forward, no matter what we think or how confused we are. We may not know what to do or, or where to go or how to think, how we love ourselves and how we love one another is sacred and mysteriously powerful and faith is to put our trust in that. No matter how lost I am, love is the best way forward. I'll trust in that. Harriet Tubman, she's on the far left there and she's standing with a group of uh, freed slaves that she had rescued. She was born into slavery in Maryland in, uh, on a plantation in 1822. And her owners frequently whipped her. Uh, she endured the pain of seeing her three of her sisters sold into slavery and never seeing them again. Her owner tried to sell one of her brothers. And Harriet's mother told the owner the first man that comes into my house, I will split his head open. <laughs> and the owner backed off. I think Harriet probably learned a little from her mother about standing up to evil, resisting evil. When Harriet was about 26 years old, she learned that she would be sold into, away from her family to someone else. And so she escaped, and she made her way 90-some uh, miles along the Underground Railroad up north. And... For eight years, she followed that path, going back and forth, freeing slaves. And in response to all of the slaves that she had helped free, she said, it wasn't me. She said, it was the Lord. And this is what she said. I always told the Lord, I trust it to you. I don't know where to go or what to do, but I expect you to lead me, and he always did. Thomas Garrett was an abolitionist. He said, I never met with any person of any color who had more confidence in the voices of God as spoken direct to her soul. Faith is the willingness to listen to the voice of God that is in you. Faith is not your trust in the set of books we call the Bible. Faith is your trust and the voice of God that is guiding you and leading you every day.
faith is their willingness to just listen. To say, God, I have no idea where to go. I have no idea how to make this decision. I have no idea what to do next. But I just want to listen and trust that you will guide me, that love will guide me in this. That is faith. And you can have a lot of doubt, a lot of confusion and doubt, and still be willing to do that. Willing to listen to God. Proverbs 3, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Trust in the Lord. Faith in God is depending on something beyond our own ego, beyond the constant role of anxious thoughts in our head that just go all day long. Faith is to trust in something beyond that. What is the still, small voice of God in me? What is that saying? Galatians 5, I love this passage. For in Christ, neither our most conscientious religion nor disregard of religion amounts to anything. What matters is something far more interior, faith expressed in love. Do you have faith? When you love, it is an expression of your faith. When you love, you are being vulnerable. You are putting yourself out there. You are willing to be hurt. You are willing to sacrifice your own ego. And whenever you put yourself out there to love, to show compassion, kindness, empathy, mercy, it's trust. That is faith. And so love is the natural byproduct of that willingness to be open. I'm going to open myself up. I will say yes to this person in this situation. I will say yes to what God is doing in the world. I will admit that I do not have all the answers or maybe any answers. But I will admit that honestly none of this religion stuff matters. That's what Paul is saying in Galatians. None of it matters if you do not have love. That is, no matter what, you can always put your trust that love is the best, most powerful way to be and to live in this world. And that's why we gather every week to remind each other of that, to show each other what that looks like. That is why we are involved in our community to try and figure out how to live that out. And when Jesus met with his followers the night before he died, he said yes to what God is doing and he was vulnerable and he put himself out there. And he said, when he took the bread and he broke it, he said, this is my body. It's broken for you. I give it to you. And when he poured the wine, the juice, in our case, said, this is my blood. It is poured out for you. And he said, every time you eat, every time you drink, remember me. Don't remember 
all of this doctrine about God in the Bible, remember me. Remember how I lived, how I've treated you, how I've taught you to be in this world. And so that is what we do every week. And everyone is invited to the table to receive God's grace through the bread and the juice. Here's some hand sanitizer if you'd like. Kylie, could you help me serve, please? May you leave this place with an awareness that the voice of God is speaking to you every moment of the day. Christ Jesus is the word of God speaking to you. May we learn to listen to that voice. May we learn that faith is the willingness to step forward in love in everything that we do. In Christ's name, amen. And before you go, because it's Candlemas, we have candles for you to take home. As Christian tradition holds, as they used to do back in the day, you can put this on your windowsill and don't use the electricity. Can you pass that? Just light your house with this little candle. <laughs> but let it be a reminder that Christ is the light of the world and that that light is in you. So, thank you all for being here. We'll see you next time, next week.